Welcome to Mindfully Healing, a mental health podcast. I'm your host, Micheline Malouf, a trauma-informed and trained therapist. And I'm Nadia Desi, a registered social worker and psychotherapist. We are here to guide you through the connection between your mind and body to help you develop a deeper understanding of yourself. Join us on each episode as we navigate each topic by posing questions to our mind and then having deep conversations with each other, ourselves, and special guests to help us come full circle and answer each question. This season, we discuss trauma, trauma responses, attachment, and relationships. In each episode, we provide you with resources and tools to begin to heal your inner child, set boundaries, and help you along your journey of healing. Dear Mind, why does trauma make everything so difficult? Welcome back to Mindfully Healing. I'm your host, Michelle Malouf. And I'm Nadia Desi. And today we're talking all about trauma. What it is. What it really is. What it really is. Exactly. So, okay. So let's talk. Let's just start there. Let's talk about like growing up and when we heard the word trauma. For me, it was always like a scary word. Oh, you got into a car accident. Oh, you've been physically abused in a relationship in your childhood oh you fought in the war like it was always this like taboo topic that was extremely intense Mm -hmm. I, I I felt the same way like it was this big big stuff that happened to other people that you looked at and you were like oh shit that sucks but you never thought of the things I mean personally I never thought of the things I went through as as traumatic no and so that was confusing because I would have all these trauma responses and I was like, why the heck do I have all these trauma responses? Am I making it up? Am I being too sensitive? Um, I don't have these gigantic, huge things that happen to me. Yeah. I mean, even in university and in post-grad, we learn about trauma, but we learn about big T's, Mm -hmm. big T's and little T's, and that's how they're defined. And when you hear the big T's are exactly the same thing that I mentioned before, Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really until after I graduated that I really learned about trauma after I took separate trainings and what it actually is and how people can be affected by it. And honestly, going to therapy with myself mm-hmm. and learning that from my actual therapist. When did you realize, huh, okay, maybe trauma is not just these really big, scary things? It's, it's funny because it was same as you in graduate school. I had no idea that trauma could be anything other than these big, scary things. I just knew that I was feeling certain ways. I went to therapy and that's how it happened. Um, because and in, in therapy, my therapist finally introduced the topic of complex trauma and chronic trauma to me. And I was like, wait a minute, no one's ever said that to me as far as like, my symptoms like are you serious at first I thought it was she was like overdoing it like okay no like I had a good childhood like it shouldn't be this way did you feel I mean we really got to get into the definition of what trauma is because I feel like we're beating around the bush a little bit but did you feel almost scared when it was defined as hey this is actually trauma I was terrified because I was like, oh my goodness, like, are you serious? Like, what does this mean? So yeah, I, I do. And I do agree. Let's, let's ask that question. Like, what is trauma? Like, what is trauma? I, I wrote down a definition um, a while back that I kind of use with my clients and people that ask me, and I'm going to read it off because um, it's, it's something that, 
you know, just makes sense to me. And I'll be curious what your thoughts are on it. But my definition of trauma is an emotional and physical response to a distressing event that causes us to feel unsafe, scared, and dysregulated in our bodies. Love that definition. What do you mean by dysregulated in our bodies? So it's like you're in the fight, flight, freeze response. Um, And that's what, you know, a lot of people don't recognize. We tend to put um, labels on events that we consider traumatic. And so then you have the question and what, which we'll discuss in this episode, it's like, why are some people then traumatized by certain events and others aren't? Um, so if we put the labels of trauma based on the events that happen externally, then a lot of things don't make sense rather than putting the label internally. It's more like, this is how I felt. So this event was traumatic to me. It may not be traumatic to them, but it's traumatic to me. And this is in no way to put the blame on yourself and asking yourself like, well, why couldn't I regulate or why couldn't I process my emotions? It has a lot to do with different resilient factors, which we will also get into, but, you know, support system, having the ability to process, having the ability to feel, having the ability to um, calm yourself down, breathing, whatever it is as a child, feeling like you're getting your needs needs met. So it's not self-blame. That is one thing we definitely don't want to do. You don't want to blame yourself for not being able to react in a certain way because of the trauma that you experienced, but it's only up from here. And our goal here is to talk more about how you can continue to work through your fight, flight, freeze trauma responses. Um, I remember a while ago, I went on a rant on TikTok about how trauma is relative and, you know, you can have a roof over your head, you can have food at the table every single night, but that doesn't mean that what you went through isn't trauma. It doesn't mean you experience, did not experience anything traumatic just because your parents were able to give you physically what you needed. There's a lot more to that. And a lot of the focus I had on that video was about emotional neglect. And I feel like that often goes kind of silent when we're talking about trauma, but it is a big form for many people. Can you explain what that is? Yeah. So first of all, emotional neglect is one of the most overlooked traumas. Um, And it is because you don't have the physical markings of somebody that may be physically abused, right? Um, Or sexually abused for that matter. And so people think exactly what you said. I have a roof over my head. I have food on the table why am I feeling this way? Like, why do I feel so bad? And so I think emotional neglect is something we really need to pay attention to, which um, I want to talk about the ACEs study when we talk about this. I don't know um, if you guys haven't heard of it. I will, we will link in the show notes, um, more information about it. So you can go in and look at, you know, your own research, um, not your own research, but look at the research on it, um, and see what it's about. But just to speak very broadly, it's one of, um, the ACE stands for adverse childhood experiences. And it's, um, one of the biggest studies conducted. It was conducted between, um, 1995 to 1997. And it had over 17,000 health maintenance organization members from Southern California that received these physical exams. And they were given this questionnaire and the data came out that finally linked adverse childhood experiences, which we're going to give you this like survey that they gave people this assessment, it's 10 questions that finally linked having one or more yeses to these questions with long-term mental health and 
physical health outcomes. It's not just like, oh, you're just more depressed. You're more anxious. There's physical, physical health, like cancer, lung disease. I think one thing to also point out with this study is that if you are um, a woman or if you are a racial or ethnic minority group, then you are at a greater risk for having experienced four or more types of these questions, these answers. Yes. Yes. It definitely is depending on your, you know, your race, your ethnicity, your uh, socioeconomic status. I mean, you'll understand why as you hear some of these questions, um, because, you know, there's a lot that comes out of not having the appropriate resources to have a healthy life. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to read these through, try to kind of keep your score as we go along. Yeah. And it's important to, as we read these questions, these are the areas um, that they're, uh, the questions fall into these categories, abuse, household challenges, and neglect. And the questions need to be answered from, you know, your first 18 years of life. So um, this is, yes, we'll talk later about like what happens if these things start happening to you later in life. But the, this assessment in particular is, you know, think about these questions in your first 18 years of life, just answer yes or no. Okay. Let's get into it. Number one, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often swear at you, insult you, put you down or humiliate you or act in a way that made you afraid that you might be physically hurt? Number two, did a parent or other adult in the household often or very often push, grab, slap or throw something at you or ever hit you so hard that you had marks or were injured? Number three. Did an adult or person at least five years older than you ever touch or fondle you or have you touched their body in a sexual way or attempt or actually have oral, anal, or vaginal intercourse with you? Number four, did you often or very often feel that no one in your family loved you or thought you were important or special or your family didn't look out for each other, feel close to each other, or support each other? Number five. Did you often or very often feel that you didn't have enough to eat, had to wear dirty clothes, or had no one to protect you, or your parents were too drunk or high to take care of you or take you to the doctor if you needed it? Number six, were your parents ever separated or divorced? Number seven, was your mother or stepmother often or very often pushed, grabbed, slapped, or had something thrown at her? Or sometimes, often, or very often, kicked, bitten, hit with a fist, or hit with something hard. Number eight, did you live with anyone who was a problem drinker or alcoholic or who used street drugs? Number nine, was a household member depressed or mentally ill? Or did a household member attempt suicide? Number 10, did a household member go to prison? So add up your yes answers, and that is your ACE score. So why are these important? These are important because... The, the research from this study showed that about 61% of adults across 25 states reported that they had experienced at least one type of ACE and nearly one in six reported that they had experienced four or more type of ACEs. Wow. I know. What are your thoughts on this? Like, what are your thoughts on this? Did you know these types of statistics existed before you read the study? No. And 61% is huge. That's not a small percentage, like even 20% with this result would be huge, but 61, that was extremely surprising to me. 
Yeah. And it's funny because whenever I post a video on TikTok, and I'm sure you experience the same TikTok or Instagram, whenever we talk about trauma, there's always an inevitable comment. Well, then that means everybody has trauma. Mm. Then we all go through these things. And it's, it's somehow people feel like if everyone goes through it, then it's not valid. Right. And, and, and I can't help but say, no, this is the problem is that the most of us don't know that this affects us, which means that we're all going through some traumatic experiences. And again, we're going to talk about different resilience factors, but most of us will experience a trauma, like a trauma in our lives. I want to talk about a little bit about like the health conditions that, you know, these are linked to, um, that we mentioned earlier. So, um, ACEs were found to be linked to many health conditions, including heart disease. There was like 1.9 million cases that were linked to that depression, 21 million cases. And the important thing, this is important to know why not because to say, oh, if you've had trauma, then this is what you need to look out for tough luck. It's more of, if we know that these are the outcomes, then we can do something to help stop it, to, to provide resources, to provide support, to help people understand and get help. I mean, of course, if we can avoid that many people getting heart disease or depression, mm -hmm. why not start? And these are not the only consequences that come from having childhood trauma. There are so many different areas in life that have been or can be impacted, like your education or your job. Mm -hmm. Risk of bodily injury, like the risk of you having bodily injury, back pain, neck pain, things like that from like an accident can be linked to, you know, adverse childhood experiences as well. So interesting. I'm trying to just like think out loud in my head of why. Yeah. And I wonder if it has anything to do with like our body going into fight or flight. There's actually information about why. And it is, it's exactly what you just mentioned. It's like when we are in a chronic state of trauma, we have this, now we're going to talk about like these, uh, fight, flight, freeze responses in our next episode, but this, um, ha there's a lot of hormones and chemicals that go through your body to gear you up for, you know, fight or flight to keep you in survival mode. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, my, which we will go more into detail, but my response is usually fight or flight. So mm -hmm. when I get anxiety or something kind of triggers me based on being re-traumatized, I get like super fast heart rate and you know my body's preparing to fight or flight and then I'm exhausted after and working a full day and putting that extra pressure on my body just makes things 10 times harder mm -hmm. me too yeah it's like this you're just overwhelmed and exhausted all the time because your body's thinking it's fighting off a threat all the time and you do have hormones that go through your body and normally and this is the thing it's like we all need fight or flight like you need it I need it everyone listening needs it to survive. We need it. The problem is we get stuck in it. When we are under the, some of the ACEs questions that we just asked, most of these are not one-time events. Most of these are ongoing events. Therefore your body is stuck in fight or flight or freeze for a very long time. And in a very, these, remember the questions were asked before age 18 in a prime developmental years. So your brain is developing, your body's developing. There's so much happening and you have all of these excess hormones going through your body and you're in a constant state of tension, 
So it is no wonder that that is going to be, you're going to have reduced oxygen flow. I mean, the, the stuff that happens in your body when you gear up for fight or flight, I don't know if you've ever felt your legs go weak or, you know, your breath starts becoming shallow or, you know, all of that stuff. There's a reason for that. Adrenaline is going through your body and it's not meant to be going through your body for that long. So when you do these, these are the, you know, possible reasons, obviously there's no like, um, like exactly like, yeah, what happens, but this is what they're, you know, thinking happens. This is one of the explanations for, for that. So just to give like a quick bit of psychoeducation on fight or flight and to try to make it as easy as possible to understand what's happening is our body and our mind doesn't really know the difference between a real threat and a perceived threat. So when something that maybe was trauma in the past for us happens again, or we get reminded of it. So it can be watching TV and something comes up that reminds us of something really terrible that happened in our past. All of a sudden our mind sees that as a threat again, and our body sees that as a threat. So we get prepared to fight or flight. And that's why all these physical sensations happen. So usually with trauma responses, it is reminding us of trauma that we've experienced of the past. Our brain and our body is saying like, hey, you're about to experience trauma again, get prepared to fight or get prepared to flight. That's such a good point. Yeah, it's such a good point. And, and often you don't even know the triggers, right? Like sometimes you're just triggered and you don't know why. Yeah. Um, and usually, well, this is where emotional flashbacks come in, right? Like the feeling of something reminds you of something that happened in the past. It's not actually like a visual or a sound or a smell. It's just like the way you feel. Maybe you're in a conversation and you start to feel a certain way based on what you're talking about, or not even necessarily just based on something, you get this emotional flashback that brings you back to a place where you were in the past. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's really hard to figure out what the triggers are. Yeah. And, you know, emotional flashbacks are a really, really important thing to differentiate from visual flashbacks, which when we talk about trauma. So going back to that beginning of the episode, the trauma that most people know as trauma, car accidents, war, you know, a robbery and assault. Those are big, um, one event, uh, traumas usually. Um, and so it's very common to have visual flashbacks with those and you go back and you re-experience and relive that event. And that's usually what merits the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, And so one of the questions I often get asked is what is CPTSD? Cause you talk about it all the time. And I'm like, okay, well, that's when you go through complex trauma. So you're having multiple things happening over a long period of time. Often when you don't even realize you can't pinpoint sometimes like one event that happened, it's just like, oh, my life has just been that way. And oftentimes people who have complex trauma don't even realize they have trauma because they're like, this is my norm. Isn't this the norm? This is everybody's norm. I'm surviving through this. Exactly. And so emotional flashbacks are so important because people don't realize that you know, they think flashbacks, they think, oh my God, I'm reliving this thing. And it's sometimes it's a feeling, it's a feeling it's like, okay, maybe if your parents were constantly fighting with each other, their entire lives and like raising their voice, if you get into a situation later in life where somebody's raising their voice, you might suddenly find yourself flushing with like emotion and your heart's moving really fast and you're not sure why, and you need to leave, remove yourself from that situation. There's your fight or flight coming in. That is an emotional flashback. Like you're, you're, kind of transported emotionally rather than visually. I was going to give the exact same example. Or even if you came from a household where your parents were really in and out or your guardians were really in and out and you had built an abandonment wound. Now, when you're in a relationship, being away from your partner, even if they didn't do something wrong, 
you might get this sensation over you when you don't see them or when you get into an argument or when you haven't heard from them in a while and it might take you back to the place where you were, not necessarily at the fault of anyone, right? Even, even in the example you gave, like if you're fighting with somebody, you happen to raise your voice, we're all human, that happens, not necessarily the other person being wrong or you being wrong, but you might have to remove yourself from that situation because it's taking you back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And that's where like working on our triggers, like that's what therapy is all about. It's, we can't live in a world where we can avoid every single trigger. We can't stop people from being triggering. We can't stop events from being triggering to us. So we have to work on those things, not necessarily doing that, giving us that hyper arousal, um, you know, and hyper vigilance right. when they occur, we want to be able to recognize that, Hey, this is, this was a perceived threat. Now, as you mentioned earlier, that difference between like perceived and actual threat, I'm not an actual physical danger right now. And so I want to, I need to ground myself and, um, you know, regulate my nervous system, which we're going to be teaching you a lot about in this uh, on this podcast, but, um, but yeah, it's a, such an important, important thing to recognize. I'm glad you brought up emotional flashbacks. Cause that's something that's like, yeah. yeah. So if you are somebody who feels like you're listening to this and you're like, okay, I do think maybe I had some trauma in the past. How am I supposed to know? Try to pay attention to the certain feelings that trigger you and then where it takes you. Why am I feeling that way? Try to reflect on it. If you feel safe and comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. So let, let me go back to ACE for a second, because these statistics just popped into my, this information like is mind blowing to yeah. me. Um, okay. So like we talked about 61% of people experience at least one. Now I'm going to talk to you about something that is like, whoa, get brace yourself for this with an ACE score of four or more things start getting really, really serious. So if you answered four or more, to the questions we gave you. The likelihood of chronic pulmonary lung disease, COPD, increases by 390%. Hepatitis, 240%. Depression, 460%. Attempted suicide, 1,220%. Wow. Wow. I know. Like, what do you say about this? Like, 1,200%. Like, that... I, you, know, you know, your speech is words. Yeah, I can't even speak. It's just like, I didn't learn about this study until I was in this field. Why are we not talking about this more? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I wish that more people would talk about it. It changes a lot because, and, and if you mention there's, a, there's some things that I would even add, like, for instance, like they name it was like neglect, abuse, like all the, the three categories that we talked about. And it was a lot to do with family, but it misses, it misses a lot of things too. So like it misses immigration trauma, it misses bullying, it misses, um, you know, constantly relocating and moving around from home to home. It misses uh, just being an ethnic minority, being a person of color growing up, you know, it's, there's so much infertility. I mean, this is later infertility is, I guess, not like before age 18, but there is so much trauma that we experience that aren't even listed in these that, you know, I don't want you to feel invalidated if you did not um, hear something that you experienced that you thought was really like, yeah. What scares me is what if those things were included? What would the statistics be then? Because 
some of these things feed off of each other bullying maybe one of the questions was did you come from a household where you were had to wear dirty clothes mm-hmm. and then you go to school and you're bullied for those dirty clothes yes yeah. so then now you have two things going on so mm-hmm. it really makes me wonder how different things would be if there was more included in here also very scary mm-hmm. yeah and it's you know if you think about it like people often ask well okay so maybe i had one of them so mine shouldn't be too bad. Right. And so I want to, I want to just put things into perspective right now. If you think, let's say that you had the one where maybe one family member was abusing physically or verbally another family member, maybe it was a caregiver, like a father, stepfather, mother, whatever. And so you would say, yeah, well, I mean, it shouldn't be that bad because everything else for me was just fine. So why do I feel this bad? And so you have to remember that these things are not typically one-time events. They're consistent. They're ongoing. And like Nadia just mentioned, like you have to deal with lack of feeling safe. So again, your body's going to go into fight or flight or freeze in that moment. So if your parents are constantly fighting while you're growing up, you might feel like you can't talk about your problems because your problems aren't big enough for your child. And you're like, ah, what are my problems? Like they're really going through it. You might feel like it's not safe to bring up concerns or problems. You are holding everything in. You're definitely not being validated for your feelings. You're definitely not being taught healthy ways of communication and problem solving. You're going to go to school. You're probably not sleeping well. You're probably not feeling well. You're probably not going to focus at school. Therefore, your grades start plummeting at school. Teachers may or may not notice. You may not know, feel safe to say anything to anyone. I mean, if you think about this one ace that you answered yes to, and you're like already invalidating yourself because you don't have more than one. I want you to just take that into consideration because it's not about the number you have. It's about how it dominoes. Right. Exactly. How it dominoes and how much it's impacted your life. Because maybe it's just one thing, but maybe it was one thing every single day. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was one thing that dictates the way you've been living your life for the past 30 years. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So, so I remember Micheline, one time you put up a post about trauma and somebody commented and said, commented and said, well, me and my sister went through the exact same thing. Why isn't she experiencing it the same way I am? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's such a good question. This is where resilience factors come in. So there are a couple of questions. Let's, let's ask these out here. Um, the questions that can offset the effects of these traumatic events are what we call resilience factors. One of them is being able to talk to your family about feelings. Feeling like your family stood by you during difficult times. Enjoying participating in community traditions. Feeling a sense of belonging in high school. Feeling supported by friends. Having at least two non-parent adults who genuinely took interest in you. And feeling safe and protected by an adult in your home. So if you think about this for, and there's probably, there's so many more, but like, if you think about this, let's say Nadia, you and I are sisters. We're growing up. Um, we experienced trauma. You had great friends. I didn't. Okay. Mm-hmm. And maybe parents are fighting in the home. You go to your friend's house. Your parents' friends are nice. You talk, you, you have that venting area. I go to people, they're being mean to me and bullying me and I'm not getting that. So that is a big deal. That is a big deal. 
So being like Nadia is naturally going to have a better response because she had an outlet and felt safe, at least in some aspect of her life. Whereas in this hypothetical situation, I don't have that. And I am going from one area of distress and going into another area of lack of support and possibly distress as well. What a great example. And I think, you know, the, the option of feeling a sense of belonging in high school, that can be the same thing. Micheline and I are sisters. We're a year apart. We're both in high school. She gets bullied for what her interests are. And I don't, and I have that support system and I have those friends and I feel like I do belong there and she doesn't, but these little things make a really big difference in the way that we react to certain situations that happen to us. And you can, you can think about them in like a nervous system regulation kind of way, which we're going to, again, talk a lot about on, on this podcast, because if you think about like what we need when we're in distress, what we need is to, you know, somebody to be there or not just somebody, but like activities and, and things that can help us get from that heightened arousal to like, Ooh, calm down. So if you have a friend, if you're like crying, how many times have you been crying or in a panic attack and then had somebody's presence? They didn't say anything. They didn't do anything. They weren't magical. They just like somehow like their presence alone just made you feel so safe and things got a better, got better because you had them. Can we go back to talking about our nervous system and feeling regulated? I know we touched upon it briefly, but why is this so important with trauma? Because if you think about when we go, when we experience any traumatic event, okay, let's think of ourselves as cave people back in the day, and we had to go out and get our food and we had to be alert, right? Like there could be tigers and lions and bears that like come out of nowhere, you know? So we're going and all of a sudden this bear shows up and we're like, oh shit. Okay. Bear here. Like my body is now thinking, do I run? Do I fight? My goal is to escape, eliminate, eradicate this threat. If I cannot, our body will initially go into fight or flight. That's the first right, right. defense, right? If it cannot fight it, it will try to flight it. And if it cannot flight, outrun it um, to protect itself, you'll go into freeze to preserve energy and die a less painful death, really. And so what's happening in your body there, again, is like all of these chemicals are going all at the same time in order to help you do that. Like you lose uh, some, some people, some people pee or poop. Some people lose the memory. Like you don't need memory. Your prefrontal cortex is shut off during that time. Cause you just need that, uh, reptilian brain, that first brain, your brain stem where it's, it's made to help you survive. That's its only, 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 only job. And so when that doesn't happen, or when you're constantly seeing tigers, you know, for using the tigers or bears or lions in your everyday life. Um, I know they're not tigers and lions, really they're family members maybe, but your nervous system doesn't know the difference. Your nervous system just sees danger, knows danger, knows pain and fear. And so consistently you, you, you're going to be dysregulated. So regulating your nervous system comes at finding uh, cues of safety within your environment and finding uh, things that help your mind and body remind itself that it's not in actual physical danger. And then that will help get you out of your fight or flight or freeze. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
And we're on our next episode, which is basically the trauma responses, how they manifest as behaviors. We're going to also give you tips on how to um, regulate and how to get out of those responses, because that is like one of the most common questions. How do I get out? Like, I know I'm stuck in this. So I know we've talked about things before about like your experiences, but when was your like aha moment? Yeah, it was like definitely in my therapy with my therapist where, you know, she said something like, yeah, that's traumatic. And I was like, well, what? Um, so for me, it was, I moved to the USA when I was eight years old and I didn't speak English and I was bullied because I didn't speak English and I looked different. My mom would f- send Middle Eastern food for lunch mm-hmm. and um, I had a unibrow and uh, curly bangs and it was just a bunch of stuff that like, you know, I was going through and then my parents didn't have the resources. We were, we, when we first came here, my dad worked and he would give my mom 20 bucks a week to like, like as an allowance essentially, because she didn't have a job at the time. And yeah, it's like, you know, growing up and like, we weren't in poverty per se, but we weren't, didn't have the resources that we needed. My parents couldn't help me through high school or middle school or any of that stuff. And um, my friend's parents would know exactly what to do if their kids were struggling. I struggled through school a lot and um, never, never got the support I needed. So yeah, those are the types of things I experienced that I didn't learn till later because I wasn't like assaulted or I wasn't like, um, I didn't go through like certain things that people considered quote unquote traumatic. I think that's such a good point for our listeners too. And one of my favorite sayings, and if you're my client, you know, this is that two things can be true at the same time. And when you think back to the experiences of your parents, you know, they did what they could. And you know, they gave you what they could and you love them unconditionally for that, of course. But that doesn't mean that they didn't meet your needs in certain areas. Doesn't mean that you're like, you understand why you're not blaming them for it, but just because they did so much for you and tried their hardest, which is incredible and gave you the opportunities that you did have, doesn't mean that you're not allowed to struggle or doesn't mean that everything else on the other side is invalidated because you didn't have that emotional support or that support through university and high school. Mm-hmm. So for our, our listeners, I know people get really defensive and even parents listening, like it is impossible to be a perfect parent. We know that, but I know a lot of people get defensive of like, well, I love my parents. I, I don't want to talk bad about them. I can't believe like you would even say that, or I don't even want to think that about them. And absolutely. I'm sure that they're incredible. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they did what they can, but that doesn't mean that they weren't able to do everything perfectly or everything right. Or in other areas, you were not struggling two things can be true at the same time. Exactly. Actually, it's one of my favorite sayings too. I remember telling one of my clients that at the same time, especially when it comes to like relationships later, we'll talk about later in episodes, but it was like, uh, one time I said to her, I said, you're allowed to be really sad about what another person is going through and their circumstances and still be really happy about what had just happened to you. That's like yeah. really cool. And she was just like, wait, what? She texted me that night. Like, she was just like, I can't stop thinking about what you just told me, like with a little mind blowing emoji. And I was like, that's something that's so, um, you know, it's, it, we take it for granted that we don't, we don't, a lot of people don't know that you can experience multiple emotions at once. Yeah. We always think it's black and white and things should be certain ways, but we're way too complex as humans for that to be. And also people ask like, well, oh shit, like I'm going through all these things or I'm that parent or my, you know, like, how do I not traumatize my child? Um, 
or like, I'm already, I feel traumatized already. I got all of them, you know? Um, no, it's not, nothing is like hopeless. Nothing is, first of all, I think there's like a thirds rule. Like you just have to be a good parent one third of the time or something like that to like be a good parent. Did you hear about that? No, but I don't know. Okay. I'm not like very familiar with like the statistics behind it or anything like that, but I heard an, um, marriage and family therapist, multiple marriage and family therapists talking about the rule of thirds or something like that. I, we're going to have Patricia Lamas on to talk about relationships later and we will ask her about that. But yeah, supposedly it's like this rule of like, you just have to be a good partner, a good parent, a good friend, whatever, a third of the time. And you're like, okay. Um, in terms of relationships, but yet, you know, we're all going to go through all of these things. So again, what's most important isn't not going through it or avoiding or making sure your child doesn't go through these things. Divorce happens. Like so many people get divorced. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't get divorced because what could happen if you stay in the relationship, you heard all the rest of the stuff, like people being mad and yelling and fights. Like, I mean, you, you can try to avoid one thing and it might make it worse on another area. So live your life, but validate, provide, if we can learn anything from this episode is getting resilience factors. So if you're somebody who's listening, who's been through all of this and you don't really have coping resilience factors in your life, like you don't have hobbies, you don't have, you don't chat with friends or whatever. This is where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. And just like a quick no, if you are a parent and you're questioning, if you're a good parent, that's enough. Mm -hmm to make oh, for sure parent. Like if you are having those thoughts and wondering, you're doing what you can and you're trying. If you're listening to this podcast, you're doing what you can and you're trying because it says so much to search out and seek out content to help yourself and your family. So don't be hard on yourself. But I guess like ending the episode here saying like, okay, what can people do if they have experienced some of these things? Um, what What would you suggest if like, a client of yours or, you know, somebody were to ask a friend of yours were to ask like, Hey, I just realized I have like four more aces and I am feeling depressed and anxious. Like what, what would you, what tips would you give them? Yeah. I mean, if it is possible to get support, that'll be one of the best options you can do with, you know, going to a therapist. We know that that's not always accessible. Um, for trauma, there are different therapeutic approaches at work. I wouldn't always recommend talk therapy. I mean, it can be helpful, but I would try to look for a therapist who specializes in EMDR or attachment theory or polyvagal. There's just so many different options just looking up trauma-informed. But I think the number one step, at least the number one step I find for myself and even for my clients is just like becoming aware are you recognizing any patterns? Where is this coming up? What are your triggers? Once you identify your triggers, you might have an easier time of understanding why and where they're coming from. And what triggers you reveals what you need to heal. So that would be my first recommendation. How about you? Yeah. Um, same things as like, okay, therapy, if you've experienced this, obviously it's not accessible to everyone, but therapy is if you can, a bottom-up approach, like you mentioned, somebody who can help work with the nervous system, like helping you grounding tools, helping you find triggers and helping you offset that, then moving up to to thought processing is great. But co-regulation, people find a friend, a loved one, a pet, something that can help you regulate without necessarily, like necessarily needing the right words. Um, Just sitting there with a close loved one is very helpful. 
finding activities that you enjoy doing. Like Nadia, you play soccer, you keep playing soccer, you know, it's gotta be so healing. Um, I personally love doing yoga and dancing and just like being goofy and oh gosh, the Norman, the Norman, my dog, (laughs) the Norman, the Norman, he like, he is like, medicine like I'm, I'm telling you if you don't if you're somebody who loves pets cats dogs horses you know it doesn't matter getting a pet something that can you know be this like love and source of joy in your life is really really helpful my friend recently just got a dog and she wasn't sure she was a dog person before she got the dog and she's been going through a lot lately and she literally texts me like every week now she's like I cannot believe the amount of love I can get from this thing like it's helping me through so much without it I don't think I would like you know be keep going and it's it don't underestimate the power of like getting a pet so those would be my you know top tips yeah. And I think one other tip to add, which we have a whole episode coming out on is inner child work, which is so incredibly healing. And the thing with inner child work is trauma or not, it is going to help you because in reality, every single person gets triggered. And a lot of the time, those triggers will go back to patterns that we've developed in our childhood and things we've seen and things we've experienced. So doing inner child work is not easy can be very triggering and is not for everybody unless you're at a place where you are ready to do it. But that is something I highly recommend and actually love doing myself too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's going to be such a great episode. I cannot wait for that. So we have some awesome stuff. We cannot wait to chat with you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and family and remember to leave us a review. We love reading your comments. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to along with your thoughts and share it to your story and tag us so we can reshare it to our story. And be sure to follow us on social media at mind.fully.healing on Instagram at mindfullyhealing on YouTube and on TikTok at mindfully.healing. Until next time.